No, I might have to uh, very quickly. I was told I could change these batteries, so if you can bear with us a sec. Oh, hold on. <coughs> Always helps to turn it on, doesn't it? Yes, that'll be the clue. <laughs> Fantastic. Right, there we go. All right. Unless you've been living with your head under a rock or been being very careful to avoid me, or being very careful to avoid all the messages that we've had in the last few weeks, you know that this week we're supposed to be dealing with 1 Corinthians 13. And I specifically asked for the privilege to be able to share this with you because this has always been such a very special chapter to me. Very excited about it in some regards, I am. For those of you that are used to me and are concerned, um, there won't be any Adrian Plass or uh, even C.S. Lewis this morning. So, <laughs> Simply because, yes, I, I heard that clap. <laughs> um, I have uh, sent out amongst the congregation through their emails a series of questions that a lot of people have sent back answers to with regards to this question of love and how it looks. So I'll share some of those at the end. Um, but there's so many, it actually covers four pages, the answers that I've received, that I won't read through all of them, otherwise my time would go. But we do have copies of those if anybody wants to look at them later on. All the names have been removed, so those of you that have been so honest don't need to be worried. Right. But in order to do the right thing, we probably need to go back through Brother Bill's outline, which all of you should be able to recite by now. And to my shame, when I came to type it up last night, I found I couldn't and had to go and look it up again. So just the review. We have a divided church here in Corinthians. We have a church that's in a lot of trouble. In chapters 1 and 2, we see that there's quarreling and division. In chapters 3 and 4, we see there's carnality in amongst the church. In chapter 5, we see immorality. And in chapter 6, we see the problem of legal cases, brother taking each other to court. In chapter 7, Paul actually addresses some questions with regards to marriage. And then another issue which was very important to them, foods offered to idols. And as we've seen, it's relevant still to us today, not necessarily in terms of food offered to idols, but in how we use our Christian liberty or abuse it, as the case may be. In chapter 11, we looked at the disorder at the Lord's table. And now in chapters 12 to 14, we're looking at spirituality and gifts. And it's a little bit like a sandwich. We have a dealing of, uh, with regards to the gifts of the Holy Spirit in chapter 12. In 13, we have a discussion of love. And in, in chapter 14, we go back to the gifts again. But it all hangs together, as Bill will be uh, detailing for us next week. And then in chapter 15, we deal with false teachers. And 16, we've got to deal with giving for the poor. So there's a fair bit of teaching in this one chapter. Now, I'm actually going to, I guess strangely, start off with 1 Corinthians 12, verses 27 to 31. But read, um, I won't get you to read it out loud, but just go through the words with me. Now, you are the body of Christ and members individually, and God has appointed these in the church. First, apostles. Second, prophets. Third, teachers. And after that, miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, administrations, and variety of tongues. 
Now then we have a nice rhetorical question. Are all apostles? By the way, notice there are multiple rhetorical questions here. Are all apostles? Well, the answer is no, obviously not all are apostles, given the definition of what an apostle is. Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? No, the obvious answer to all of those questions is exactly the same thing because we've just been through, as our brother expanded so well last week, the variety and the gifts within the body. So, no, not everybody is every one of those things. And Paul says, I tell you what though, if you're going to be asking for things or seeking for things, seek the best gifts. Now, this is where I really love this chapter because it reminds me of when you're teaching. Because I used to be a teacher in computing studies, sometimes in maths and biology as well. And there are just days when you explain something over and over again and you can see that it is just not going in. So you think, how can I explain this? And then you go, ah, this is better. This is the way to explain this. And Paul does exactly the same thing. Yet, I will show you a more excellent way. So Paul's saying, okay, I've gone through all of these things about the, the body and how all the things fit together, but this is a better way to put it. And now we get to 1 Corinthians 13, 1 to 3. And strangely enough, he start, doesn't start off talking specifically about gifts or seeking gifting or anything like that. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Now, I must have made a slight mistake there because I wanted the translation that mentions about give up my body to be burned. Okay? Sacrifice my body to be burned. But have not love, I gain nothing. Okay. So what is this love thing that Paul is talking about? Well, for starters, unless you really haven't been reading your scripture at all, you must know that love is a very, very common biblical topic. And you might recall the story of the Good Samaritan that Jesus tells. Now, I'm going to actually touch on it a little bit more later. But it is very common, and I see so much in the Old Testament of God pouring out his love for his people and even for people who aren't his people. Uh, like in the story of Jonah, I was sharing with a sister here over the weeks, I love the story of Jonah, in that Jonah didn't run away from the job that God gave him because he didn't feel up to it. He was worried that God was going to do what God was going to do. So he thought, maybe if I avoid it, which is a fairly pointless exercise. But when we hear the word love, when you hear the word love, what do you think of in today? Because this is our language now. And the problem is that the word love is, first of all, used for so many things. I love my cup of coffee in the morning. I love my dog. I love chips when I can get hold of them. Um, I love my children. I love coming to church. I love singing. I love my brothers and sisters. 
I love my wife. We use the same word in so many different ways. And I thought I'd go and get a few ideas of what people who weren't Christians had to say about love. And one very common one is, love means never having to say I'm sorry, is what some people say. And all I can say is when I read that is thinking, you don't really know loving people at all. This one was good. Don't settle for a relationship that won't let you be yourself. Love is blind. Love is a warm puppy. (laughs) In the end, the love you take is equal to the love you make. I couldn't help it. I didn't love them anymore. Now these above expressions in no way reflect love as examined here. So the problem is we've got to unlearn everything that you hear from the TV, read in the papers, read in the magazines, hear from the likes of Oprah Winfrey and others, um, basically what the world is trying to tell us because the father of lies is trying to tell us, sell us a whole lot of fake goods. The Greeks, however, were a bit smarter than us in this regard and they had four words for love. Uh, Interestingly enough, John, I found a a, uh, website last night that had six Greek words for love, Um, but I didn't get into that because I thought I'd get myself more confused. To start off with, there's eros, an emotional and sexual love. We would think of it as Pat's romance. It's very feeling-centred, okay, eros. There's also the word storge. I don't know whether that's the correct pronunciation. Is that right, Lindsay, or not sure? Okay. If I had it in Greek, you'd be right. This is the family and friendship love, the friendship that you have, the love that you have for those in your family and for those people that you choose as a friend. Then there's filio, affectionate, warm, tender, platonic love. But then there's the big one. Agape. This is an unconditional love that sees beyond the surface and accepts the recipient for whom he or she is regardless of their flaws, shortcoming or faults and expects nothing in return. This is a love that doesn't need to get something. It's always outflowing in some regard. Now, can I just very carefully point out, however, that when we say accepts the recipient, that doesn't necessarily mean has nothing to do or no no desire to try and assist them to change. Um, We've got this idea in love that by accepting, that means that it's okay. I, for example, love my children and therefore if they want to come into the house and leave the place a mess and treat us as if we're unimportant and not serve the Lord, then that's okay because I love them. No, it's not. In fact, you don't really love them if you're willing to let them do that. Okay? You're just lazy. All right? And I don't think anybody here feels like that about any of their children. So. Agape is the word that is used throughout the whole of 1 Corinthians 13. It's the love that God shows us, the love that God is, which we see in 1 John. God is love and God is light. And the love that Jesus... I'll use the word exemplify, but that doesn't really express it as well as I'd like to. It's what he was, what he showed, how he is. Not overly surprising since 1 John is saying that God is love and we know that Jesus is 
God. So, let's go back to that bit again. If I speak the tongues of men or angels and do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge and have a faith that can move mountains but don't have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Now, first of all, it's very clear that love is not feelings alone, especially through those four words. The agape verse is talking about a giving love, not necessarily about the feelings that you have. But 1 Corinthians 13, 1-3 says that actions are not necessarily love in and of themselves. All right? And I've always thought, oh, well, love is action. Now, love shows itself through actions, but actions aren't necessarily love, is what 1 Corinthians 13 is telling us. First of all, what about beautiful speech? Oh, it's so fantastic to see you today. You don't know how much it makes my day when I spend some time with you and you look beautiful. Or, and in fact, I remember reading just a tiny little bit of comedy where this young man says to his, is sitting there telling his beloved how much he cares for her and how much she's the centre of his life. And she says, oh, dear, I'm, I just really feel not very well. Do you, think I could, do you think you could go down the shops and get me some cold medicine? He says, but it's raining. <laughs> Beautiful speech is really easy. Right? Well, prophecy and knowledge, they're good things, aren't they? As in if we, if we can tell people what God is saying and, and if we know the scripture well, that's important. Yeah, it's important. But if you don't actually care for the Lord himself or for the people that you're sharing that with, then you might as well be selling them the latest heal yourself type book that you can buy and seem to be churned out every day. Oh, dear. Here we go. All right, faith. Surely faith must show that I love God. But the answer is no. Not necessarily. Maybe you do have faith. I know. Faith is shown by charitable actions, especially that charity word. I forgot to mention, by the way, that the King James doesn't use the word love. It uses the word charity, which unfortunately these days has come to mean I'll give you my cast-offs because you're really hopeless, which is not what the word was supposed to mean. I always cringe when I hear people say, I don't want charity. You're actually saying, you don't realise it, but what you're actually saying is, I don't want you to love me unconditionally and give your all for me. And as far as I'm concerned, if you don't want that, then there's something really wrong with your wiring. How can I give and not love? Well, Acts chapter 5 verses 11 really shows us that with Ananias and Sapphira. They sold their house. They kept 50% of it. They gave 50% of it to the church. None of those things is wrong. But they didn't love the people. They pretended that it was all the money. Well, why would you do that? So that everybody goes, oh, aren't you a wonderful little sunbeam? And they weren't. They didn't love the people of God. They were doing it to get praise. So yeah, you can definitely give and not love. But surely giving up my body to be burned, surely martyrdom proves that I love well, I don't think the current suicide bombers are a terribly great example of love. They're giving up their bodies. 
for what they're going to receive somewhere else. How you can kill someone that you don't even know, um, that you don't know anything about them and it's not actually actively engaged against you, I don't understand, but I'm sure it's not the love, the agape love that's being talked about. So what then is love? Well, 1 Corinthians 13 puts it this way. Love suffers long and is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't parade itself. It's not puffed up. It doesn't behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things and endures all things. And I thought I'd just pull that out now and pull out the two things that love is and love is not. First of all, love suffers long and is kind. So when you really love that person for about two minutes until they're finally out of your sight, then that's not love. Okay? It's long suffering. Notice the term suffering. In that if you, sac- as you all know this, if you sacrificially love someone, there are times of hurt that come from that. And how you respond to that shows you whether you really love them or not. Also shows whether you really love God. You can't separate. As a Christian, how can we separate those two? It is kind. Secondly, love doesn't think evil. Mr. Spurgeon had some very interesting comments to say on this, saying that you know, he wished that some of the people in his congregation were far keener to go around reciting exaggerated tales of the good that other believers had done rather than believing in the negative that they've done and sharing those things. You know, just between you and me for prayer, George is having a problem. Of course, I don't have that issue. Thank goodness for that. Thinks no evil. Because... The father of lies is out there and he's lying to you about your brothers and sisters as well. I don't even have to guess what he's telling you. I know that he can't tell the truth without twisting it. So he's lying to you. And we need to think no evil. Does that mean that brothers and sisters can't do anything wrong? Don't be silly. Of course they can. There's lots of examples. But our default should be to thinking good rather than evil. Love rejoices in the truth. Okay? So it finds its joy when we look at things together, share things together, are truthful to each other. This is very hard for us in our society. How are you today? Oh, I am well. Have you ever found yourself saying that when you actually got the flu or something like that? And you think, why did I say that? What I'm actually saying is you wouldn't be interested. So... Don't ask the question if you don't, me, of me if you don't want the answer. And don't just tell me what you think I want to hear. If we start to talk to each other about things, how are you? Oh, it's been a tough week. I'm, I might be struggling. If you don't tell me that, how can I help you? If you won't share with me how you feel, how can I help you? And if I won't share with you, how can you help me? There is a song that I love which goes, Brother, let me be your servant. Let me be as Christ to you. Pray that I might have the grace to let you be my servant too. Realistically, people should walk through that door and see us as we interact together and think these guys are always helping each other. So let's be truthful to each other about our joys and our struggles with the intention of always moving on. 
It bears all things. And this is the tough part for you guys because that means you've got to bear with me. <laughs> when you have heard about the latest Adrian Plass story for the 50th time, the scripture is making it clear that you've got to bear with me. Now you might need to, in truth, suggest to me I could change my conversation a little bit or that maybe I'm a bit fixated. But we are supposed to bear with one another because the people of the world don't. You know, they just get tired of, of this person, their ways of doing things. Let's just move on and leave them behind. And believes all the positive things. Hopes for everything. We're always supposed to be a people of hope. And why shouldn't we be a people of hope? Our Lord Jesus loves us and gave himself for us. And lastly, endures all things. That's the tough one. Sometimes when we love, when we love our Lord and when we love our brothers and sisters, we will have to endure. It's not necessarily a short thing. What is love not? For starters, it's not envious. So, when you start to look at those things that, your other, that the other believers have, the money that they have perhaps, the houses, the relationships that they might have with their children, and you are envious of them, then you are not loving them. Now, of course, this isn't a major issue per se because we can always repent. But envy is a major issue if we won't repent. Again, why do Cain, slew, Cain kill Abel? Envy. And just look through the scripture and see how many samples you have of where envy, if it's not checked, leads to destruction. Doesn't parade itself. Now, some of you I know aren't keen television watchers, and that's a very good thing. But there was a television show that I'm certain many of you have heard of called Kath and Kim, and the catchphrase in that was, look at me, look at me, look at me. Um, oh, that grates with me. I hated that show. <laughs> I can tell you honestly, I never watched it. I've got no interest in watching it. And if that's the only show that's ever on television, that'll be a good thing because I'll stop watching it. So um, when you're parading yourself, do you, you all know when you're parading yourself, you know how ugly you look. All right. And the same sort of concept here is not puffed up. To put it in the vernacular, it doesn't have a big head about themselves. Doesn't behave rudely. This is a tough one for me because there are occasions when I'm dealing with people over the phone when I do. And what have I got to do about that? Well, as my brother Noel would tell me, oh, stop. <laughs> and I'm trying, working at it. And isn't always looking for itself. Isn't easily provoked. And doesn't rejoice when bad things happen to others in iniquity. Now, I was almost going to disagree with something that Bill said a couple of weeks ago, which is a very dangerous position to be in. So <laughs> when I stopped and reflected, I realised that in fact we were talking about the same thing. For those of you that perhaps can't quite grasp that little graphic there, that's supposed to be an iceberg. And one of the great things about icebergs is somewhere between, I think it's uh, two-tenths to three-tenths is above the water and the rest is below. Right? And up the top we see the obvious things, the obvious parts of the iceberg, the sin, the lies, the lust, the greed, murder and gossip. So let's get rid of those. The problem is every time you chip those things off the top of the iceberg, it just rises back up again. 
because of the problem that's underneath. If we want to deal with the iceberg, we need to go from the root cause. Now, the root cause here is mentioned, there's a passage from James that I wanted to mention. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire and you do not have, so you kill. You covet and you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight and you do not have because you do not ask God. And when you do ask, you don't receive because you're asking with wrong motives. You are asking so that you can spend it on your own pleasure. So very clearly, self is a major problem for all of us, which is why we're called to take up our cross daily, to die to self and to live for Christ. So let's replace it with a dirty great big iceberg full of love. Again, remember, I'm not talking about the fluffy nonsense that our world goes on with. I'm talking about real love. You've had a description of that before and what it looks like. And the outcome of that I would propose to you is righteousness, truth, humility, forgiveness, patience. And of course, the Lord brought this out when he did the story of the Good Samaritan. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul and with all your mind. Matthew 22:37. But it's also found back in Deuteronomy 6:5. And the second commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Matthew 22:39 is also found in Leviticus 19:18b. These are the proof texts of what it actually means to be a Christian, to be a follower of Christ. These are the ones that I laugh about when people tell me they keep the Ten Commandments. And they go, that's, that's impressive. Would you like to tell me how you keep that first one? How you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength every minute of the day. I think all of us who are honest know that we are still working on that one. Love endures forever. We sang that song this morning. Love never fails. Where there are prophecies, they're going to finish. Where there are tongues, they'll be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it'll pass away. For we know a part and we, in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, and I think this, the, uh, another translation says that is perfect comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put, away, put the ways of childhood behind me and then it says, for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Now some people use this as a verse to suggest that this is why the miraculous gifts no longer occur today. And all I can say is I, I can't see how you get that. I, I, well, I can see how you can try to get that. Now I know in part, and then I shall be fully known, even as I am known. Well, who knows me fully? Only the Lord Jesus Christ. None of you do, not even my wife, not even myself. But I will be fully known by Christ when I see him. To me, when that is perfect is come is when I'm going to be with Jesus. And then who's going to need different tongues? Isn't that amazing? We're all going to speak the same language. Or at very least, we're certainly going to all understand each other and we're going to understand what the Lord tells us. I won't have to... Nobody, I shouldn't say. Nobody will have to preach to anyone because we'll be able to to talk with he who is truth face to face. Oh, that just makes me so excited sometimes. So, but love. Love, of course, will go on because, of course, God is love. We'll be in the presence of real love.
Now, in case you're wondering why I brought this in, let's hope I can do this without wrecking things. There we go. I see 1 Corinthians 13 since the example was used as a beautiful example of a mirror for reflection. And when you've got a mirror and you're standing in front of a mirror, you're normally asking yourself the question, what do I look like? Maybe you're flexing your muscles, maybe you're pulling your stomach in, maybe you're hoping that the, the wrinkle lines are going to disappear or whatever the case may be. Maybe you're desperately hoping that your hair's not sticking out the side making you look like Julius Sumner Miller. What do I look like? And then the second question is, having looked at it, do you care? Because we're told elsewhere in the scripture that some people come look at themselves in the mirror and walk away and do nothing about it. Fairly pointless. Don't bother to look into the mirror. What does this love look like for me? And what does this love look like for others? What do I need from you? What can I express to you about the things that I need to feel loved? And what do I need to find out for you as well? What makes you feel loved? It's not the same for everybody, as we know. Now, as I said, we had some response to the the questionnaires. I'm just going to read out a short list because it would take me far too long to read the long list. The first question was, I know I am loved by my daughter, son, husband, wife, mother, father, select one, when they. Well, one of them was, when my wife spends some time with just me. Another one was, when they take time to snuggle with me and hold my hand. And another was, when he tells me that I am amazing mother and woman of God and beautiful. So, for some of us, that's what love from our family members look like. I feel loved by my fellow believers when they listen, offer to pray, do pray, and ask about it later. That was actually came up quite a few times. So, um, prayer obviously is a very important thing. However, it's not just saying, yes, I will pray for it. It's actually praying for it and checking up on it. And that's something I probably don't do. So, we need to do that for each other. Include me in their conversations. <clears throat> Sometimes I feel very lonely while it's at church, which uh, was one that quite surprised me. Welcome me with open arms, warm eyes and sincere hugs whenever I appear in this circle, no matter how long it's been since we last met. So those are some of the things, but there's a nice big long list. So if you're looking for clues, We've got the sheets here, you can have a look and if people would like, we'll send them all round so everybody's got a copy. I can best show my love for my daughter, son, husband, wife, mother, father, select one, by cooking the food he likes. Showing my appreciation for everything she does by way of small but thoughtful responses, e.g., thank you, a special dinner or helping her in her work. By using words and touch as well as all the organisational stuff that I remembered to do. And this one I loved. By taking the time to dance with him, have fun moments with him and serve him. I thought that was very sweet. I can show my love for my fellow believers by being there, encouraging them, trying to model Jesus in word and deed with a willingness to give and forgive. By sitting with them in church, morning tea and offering cups of tea. And here was a nice, honest answer. I don't think I do. 
And this causes me to reflect and seek to do better. Now the last one, of course, is going to be pretty good. I feel most loved by my Saviour Jesus when I consider the absolute enormity of what he has done for me. To leave the perfectness of heaven, to live here as a man, and then to suffer the wrath of God, the Father, so that I might be redeemed, is such an amazing act of love. When I consider what he did without or before being asked, and with no guarantee of the team that I would join up, so to speak. How he died on the cross for me. No one has ever loved me that much. And I become a sobbing mess when I think too much about it. How he listens to me when I cry out and how he talks to me when I need it the most. And then somebody wrote down the bottom, okay, now I need to go and get some tissues. <laughs> I thought it was cute. Now this is, as I said, an opportunity for all of us to look in the mirror and say, how am I going? What can I clean up? What can I do better? Not, don't listen to the accuser and sit there and think, oh, well, I'll never change. I'll always be this. That's the lie he wants to give you. Our Lord Jesus Christ says that he wants to make us perfect. So we can look at these things and say, okay, I can do a better job than that. Try and think of it more like a sportsman who, having had a bad round of golf, goes back out and hits 100 balls so that eventually it becomes second nature. On personal reflection, why is this chapter so important to me? Because to be loved was the start of my relationship with God. When somebody told me that God loved me as I was, and I was considered very lowly in the school hierarchy when this was first mentioned to me, uh, as in if you needed to pick on somebody, pick on Gordon, because he's too small to do anything about it. Um, which was strange because my parents were, in many regards, quite loving. All right, so I don't get, want to get you wrong there, but it just resonated with me anyway. Let's put it that way. And to be forgiven by my brothers and sisters is just the best. Those of you who know me know that oftentimes my tongue gets away with me, and again, we're working on that. Um, but I just find it so encouraging and so uplifting when I go to someone and say, oh, look, I'm, I'm sorry, I said the wrong thing the other day. I, wasn't, I didn't think. Will you forgive me? And they go, yes, Gordon, of course I'll forgive you. I think, oh, that's fantastic. So um, for those of you who don't feel that you've got anything else that you can do in the church, you can always forgive me and that will um, give, <laughs> um, give both of us a great deal of joy. And when you think about it, when we make a mistake like that, when we do something that's wrong and we repent of it and we go and ask our brother or sister for forgiveness and they forgive us, that's a lot of positive how can I return in heaven and a big stick in the eye for our accuser about, look at that, you wanted me to say something that upset someone and now instead I've confessed, they've forgiven me, the Lord is glorified. Perhaps you'd be better if you didn't encourage me to open my mouth so much. Okay. Now, in conclusion, can I just say real love is not always easy or a warm, fuzzy feeling. And I think most of us here with children know that we, we love our children so dearly and we'd love to give everything that we can. But that means that on some occasions you've got to call them out about the things that they're doing wrong. That means that sometimes your children have to call you out about things that are doing wrong and none of us enjoy that. Right? But if it's real love, it's always got the best interest of the other person at heart because God had our interests at heart. Remember that God didn't need to create us 
He didn't need anything from us and he still doesn't need any, anything from us. He deserves everything from us, but he doesn't, he's not going to be made less when we perform badly. Real love always has the best interests of the beloved at its core. And now the really tough question, yeah, Gordon, that's all well and good, but what when I, don't, when I can't find that love in me? Well, I'm going to suggest two things to you. First of all, if you can't find love within yourself for a brother or a sister or a husband or a wife or anything else, go back to the source of love, to our Father. Read how much he loves you. Don't be like that ungrateful servant who basically couldn't see how much money he'd been forgiven. Be like the, be grateful. Look, go back and look at it and think, wow, you love me that much. And when you get filled with that, I am fairly sure you're going to find that you're going to want to share it with other people because it should flow out over ourselves. We should be so desirous of telling people about Jesus because he does love us. And I'm also going to suggest that you then need to pray and start to do things for the other person. 1 Corinthians 13, finish, 13 finishes with verse 13. Now these three things remain, faith, hope and love. The greatest of these is our love. As we said before, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you have love one for another. And the great thing is, that you don't have to have any special skill or ability to love someone. Right, let's just close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord, it's real easy to come and talk about these things and terribly easy for me to shoot my mouth off and probably terribly easy for us to listen to them. But that's not what you're asking. You ask us to abide in the vine, to draw from you, to draw from your, your very essence. And that very essence towards us is towards us is love, as we've seen. Please encourage us and rebuke us um, when we need it to move forward in loving each other. And Lord, when we find ourselves falling short, thank you that we can come to you and seek you out. Thank you that we can go to our brothers and sisters and ask them to help us. Thank you for prayer and thank you for a father that loves us. Thank you for a son that died for us and rose again. Thank you for a spirit that indwells in us. May love be short, shared amongst us and it may, be, may it be our reputation in the community. You want to go there, those people love each other. Thank you for the love that you welled up within us because love only comes to us through you and we need to keep close to our source. Help us to do that in this coming week in Jesus' name. Amen.